Welcome back to the Axe Murder Diaries. I'm your host, Amanda, and today we are talking about the tragic murder of the Naramore children. Now, as the title suggests, we are talking about the murder of children in the 1800s. If this is not something you were up for listening to today, that's okay. We'll see you in the next episode. But as always, my goal is to tell their story in the most thorough and respectful way possible. Let's get started. The Tragic Murder of the Naramore Children in Barr, Massachusetts At 3 p.m. on March 21, 1901, George Thrasher stopped by the Naramore family home to deliver groceries. He thought it was strange that there were no children playing in the yard as usual, and the doors were locked. He looked into a bedroom window. Quote, there, on two beds, were the bleeding forms of the six children and their mother, the room a scene of the greatest disorder, with indications of a wholesale massacre. End quote. He ran back to the village and told his friend, who sent his father, C.H. Parker, Mr. Parker told Frank Naramore, who was at work, that there was some trouble at his home. Frank and the other men headed for the home. The doors were locked, but the men broke in. They tried to keep Frank Naramore outside, but he made his way in and saw his wife with her throat slit, surrounded by their six dead children. So what happened here? So Frank Naramore and his wife, Elizabeth, or Lizzie Craig Naramore, lived in the home with their six children. Their names were Ethel Marion, age nine, Charles Edward, age seven, Walter Craig, age six, Chester Irving, age four, Elizabeth or Bessie, um, with no middle name listed, age three, and Lena Blanche, age six months. The family was described as having, quote, adverse financial conditions. Frank Naramore worked at the local lumber company, but it was not enough to make ends meet. In the weeks leading up to the murders, the family appealed to the selectmen of Barr, who referred them to the Templeton selectmen, who gave them some financial aid. A week before the murders, they told the family that if they asked for help again, the town would be forced to send them to a poor house. The house was described as an old house with window panes out, the whole stuffed with rags. So when they came back to examine the conditions, they threatened to place the four oldest children in foster care, and the youngest two, Elizabeth, age three, and Lena, age six months, would be sent to be cared for in a poor house. Now, some other sources state that it would only be the youngest and Elizabeth that were sent to the poorhouse, and the rest of them would be sent to foster care. But essentially, Elizabeth waited for her husband to go to work before locking all the doors, murdering her children, and then cutting her legs and her throat with her husband's straight razor in an attempted suicide. Now I will read to you what happened in quotes here. It was a singular fact that each of the five older children received the fatal blow on the right side of the head, the skull being crushed in with the blunt end of the ax. The baby's head was badly battered with the club. The bodies were washed, wrapped in sheets, and placed in rows on beds. Mrs. Naramore was removed to the Springs house at Coldbrook Springs, and the doctors made every effort to save her life. She had a bad cut on her neck, but in making the slash with the razor, missed the jugular vein. She bled freely from several deep gashes on her leg below the knee, which she inflicted evidently from a desire to bleed to death. The doctors think there is a slight chance for her, but as she has 
but as she has a strong constitution, she may be kept alive for some time. Mrs. Naramore was conscious at times last evening and made a statement to medical examiner Walcott in which she confessed the crime and gave a few of the horrible details. She displayed signs of sorrow for the deed she had committed, but gave no reason why she had killed her children. The killing took place in three rooms on the first floor, the kitchen, bedroom, and sitting or living room. All three rooms are spattered with blood, and show other signs of the fury of the attack made upon the children by their mother. She told Dr. Walcott that after locking all the doors with the children all inside, she took the axe and first attacked her oldest child, Ethel, a girl of nine years. The other children, terrified at the unusual sight, were powerless to do anything to help their sister, and she was soon dispatched by the infuriated woman. The girl's head was crushed in on the right side, and her face was all cut up. Placing the body of the girl on the bed, the mother says she went for the next oldest, Walter, eight, and after killing him in a similar manner, proceeded in the awful work until Charlie, six, Chester, five, and Bessie, three, were lifeless on the beds. The baby, Lena, about 18 months old, now her grave does list her as six months old, was next attacked, not with an axe, but an oak club, and the frail little being was soon dispatched. The mother said that as fast as the children were killed, she placed the bodies on the bed, and when she had completed the wholesale slaughter, proceeded to take her own life, choosing her husband's razor as the weapon. After cutting herself in a horrible manner, she lay down on the bed with her children, as she supposed, to bleed to death. She says she fully expected the gash in her throat would cause her death, and that when her husband returned at night, he would find all of the bodies in the two beds. Now, different sources will place blame on different people. And all I will say is I will add that. To me, that sounds like a statement um, to have her husband come home to that. But it's really, it's really difficult to say. Some sources state that he was an alcoholic and used all his earnings from his job on alcohol rather than on his family. Other sources will blame the mother and say that her husband made plenty of money, but she mishandled their finances somehow. Um, if you want to ask my opinion, I mean, if it's even worth asking, um, it to me, it sounds like a combination of postpartum depression and psychosis um, mixed in with the strain of poverty and not wanting to be separated from her children. Um, those are just my thoughts there. Obviously, this is very horrific. Um, and I will add that in one source, it did state that initially she wasn't going to kill them with the axe and the club. Um, one source states that she tried to drown them, taking the oldest one first and holding her head in a pail of water, but she struggled, so she had to change to a different method. 
Um, obviously, this is very horrific, no matter how you look at it. So the funeral was obviously very sad. Um, but there was an interesting character there, a pastor, Reverend Charles Talmadge. Now, he sort of got some mixed reviews for sharing very openly how he felt about what happened. So apparently he made a very diligent investigation of the lives of the Naramores, and he came to a few conclusions, and he pointed the finger of this tragedy at Frank Naramore, as well as the community for not helping more to prevent this tragedy. Um, he did, he went on to say, the story of the woman now at the Worcester Hospital is in infinitely pathetic. Her mother was taken from her while she was still a baby. Her father was a very poor man. She had few advantages, and as soon as she was old enough, went out to service. She was a good girl, and a hard-working, thrifty, neat, capable, ambitious girl. She grew up into a good woman, energetic, forehanded, punctual in every duty, respected by all who knew her, holding wickedness, idleness, dirt, and debt in utter abhorrence. Withal, she was kind-hearted, even tender-hearted. She established herself in a small business at Baldwinville and was getting along nicely when she met and married Naramore. And this is what he had to say about Frank Naramore. So he described Frank Naramore as a big, strong man, a capable workman if he had been willing to work, a natural mechanic was a bad husband and father, a drinker, though not a habitual drunkard, a squanderer, shiftless, lazy, dirty, sometimes ugly, and at the last, cruel. He took money that should have been sacred to his family and bought with it things for himself which he did not need, liquor, a pipe, a pair of miner's rubber boots, with work and wages waiting for him. He sometimes elected to loaf, offered free fodder for his wife's jersey cow and the use of a cart to fetch it. He didn't go for it, offered window glass and putty free of cost to mend his windows in the zero weather of last winter. He let them go unmended. After the funeral, Pastor Talmadge counted 76 broken panes. He says the wife's heart was bound up in her children. She tried her best to keep a home for them, to feed them and clothe them. She chopped the wood, carried the water, took care of her cow, tended the garden, raised chickens. Her old horror of debt stayed by her. One of her last sane acts was to insist upon paying a neighbor who had brought her a few potatoes. A time came when the hard life grew harder. The little organ brought with her from Baldwinville had been sold, and Naramore had pocketed the proceeds. He told her that the Jersey cow must be sold too. Then he had told her that they got to the end and the town must support them. She consulted the overseer of the poor. He told her that, if her mind was fully made up to leave Naramore, he would aid her to obtain boarders and to keep her children with her. That was not Naramore's plan. He was for parceling out five of the children in as many families. She and the baby were to go to the poor farm. It is supposed that he told her on a Tuesday night. She was heard screaming. The next morning, she was standing in the door as a good man went by. What would you do, she asked him, if they were going to take your children away from you, never to see them anymore. 
And then the closing thoughts of this pastor addressing the adult citizens of Bar. Thursday came, black in the heavens, pouring down tears as if conscious of her wrongs and sorrow. Go she must, that was settled, where? To the poor house with her children, temporarily. As the good Templeton overseer wanted to plan for her, she might have consented to that, but without her children, that strong, affectionate young mother, never. That door seeming shut, one other could be opened by her own hands, the door of death. Through it, she chose to pass, taking her children with her. She opened it with ghastly frenzy. Her children did go, sweet and innocent, of untimely blooming. But we are tempted to say, alas, the mother remains to suffer. What of that husband and father? The law says, go free, and be the pattern of many another. But shall the law always say so? What questions here swarm about us? What modifications of law? What new laws shall the old Commonwealth of Massachusetts make for such desperate cases? What prevention and what remedies? What warnings and what punishments? What new atmosphere shall it create and how? For social regeneration and righteousness, what functions for church and state? What cooperations and sympathies to deliver and save such mothers and children? I personally found that very moving. Um, if it's true, the mother, it sounds like she was doing all the right things um, to the up until the end. And since the family had no money, the children were buried in an unmarked grave at the edge of the cemetery. Now, Mrs. Naramore did recover medically, and so she was arrested, not for the murder of all of her children, but for the murder of her oldest daughter, Ethel. And at her arraignment, this was read. On the 21st day of March, Elizabeth A. Naramore did assault and beat Ethel M. Naramore with intent to murder her by striking her over and upon the head with an axe, and by such assault and beating did kill and murder the same Ethel M. Naramore. When asked, are you guilty or not guilty of said crime, no audible answer was given. Sheriff Bothwell then asked her the question. To the, his question, she replied strongly and sadly, I killed them all. Escapes gallows on insanity plea. Doctors Quinby and Scribner, superintendents of the Insane Hospital and Insane Asylum in Worcester, testified that the woman was insane at the time of the killing and for some time after. But Dr. Quinby says she is now sane, although she needs medical attention. By order of the court, the jury returned a verdict of not guilty because of insanity, and Mrs. Naramore was committed to the Worcester Insane Hospital for life. In the end, Mrs. Naramore was treated at the asylum for five years, declared sane, and then discharged. Um, she did end up visiting the unmarked graves of her children in 1907. And after that, it's not positive where she went. Um, but one source states that she moved to Boston and worked as a department store clerk. It is unknown when exactly she died. Uh, Frank Naramore died at the age of 73 in 1936 um, with no friends or family. After almost 100 years after the murders, 
a stone was finally erected for the children in Riverside Cemetery. And I will leave you with what the stone reads. Elizabeth, Ann Craig, and Frank Naramore lived in nearby Coldbrook, where they raised six children. Desperately poor and fearing the separation of her family, Elizabeth murdered her children on March 21st, 1901. She attempted to take her own life, but did not succeed. In his funeral oration for the children, Bar Congregational Church Minister Charles Talmadge condemned the act and put the blame on Frank Naramore's inability to properly provide for his family and the failure of the community to prevent the tragedy. Elizabeth Naramore stood trial for the murder of her eldest child and was found not guilty by reason of insanity. She was committed to the State Lunatic Asylum in Worcester and was released five years later. Both Elizabeth and Frank Naramore disappeared into society, never to be heard from again. Today, many of the laws in the Commonwealth regarding child protection find their origin in the Naramore case, June 2002. Ethel Marion Naramore, age 9. Charles Edward Naramore, age 7. Walter Craig Naramore, age 6. Chester Irving Naramore, age 4. Elizabeth Naramore, age 3. Lena Blanche Naramore, age six months. I won't lie to you guys, when I first read about this case, I almost cried and had to table talking about this for a couple of months. So if you made it this far, I hope you're doing okay and thanks for working through that with me. I will be posting a couple of photos on the Instagram at the Axe Murder Diaries. One is a photo of the house where this occurred, and the other is of the asylum. Um, but with that said, thank you for listening. Have a good night.